Now, if my family knows, if I had only one channel on the satellite to pick and I was stuck with only one thing, it would be Turner Classic Movies, because I love those. I learned at a very early age, in fact, to love those. If you're from Detroit, you might know that early in the morning after Captain Kangaroo was a show called Rita Bell's Prize Movie. And she would always show old movies. And then in the afternoon, there was Bill Kennedy Presents, and he would show classic movies. And I just became hooked on those things. I love them. What I love especially is that, like this time of year, this weekend, they have themed movies all for the whole weekend to celebrate, in fact, Memorial Days. And they'll be playing mostly movies about war. I've seen a lot of those movies. 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, The Sands of Iwo Jima, The Longest Day, many of those depicting events that have taken place in our nation and in the world. But you know, sometimes in movies, sometimes in books, sometimes in many of those things, they can portray war as something glamorous. And I think that's unfortunate because war of anything is nothing glamorous. In fact, hear those words of Jesus again from the gospel today when he says, you will hear of wars and uprisings. Do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You see, we live in those end times. We have been and will until Christ returns. And we know that we have seen and there have been many wars. In fact, it's been part of most of human existence. And war is defined, if you would look at it, as any conflict that takes more than a thousand lives and casualties. And so you might ask yourself, thinking about world history, has there ever been a time truly of peace? Well, statistics say that it's estimated in the last three and a half millennia, there have only been 268 years of what we might call peace. 268 years out of more than 3,500 years in history where there wasn't a war. That's only 8% of recorded history. And the casualties that go along with those numbers are staggering. For the 20th century alone, it was estimated that over 108 million were killed in wars. And the total for those 3,500 years ranges from 150 million upwards to 1 billion people. No, there's nothing glamorous about war. And in fact, those words that William Tecumseh Sherman spoke that war is hell is true no matter what way you look at it. And the sad part is that they will continue. Continue in our lives, continue in our children's lives, and in generation till Christ returns. And we may be like a pageant spokesman who would say, I hope for world peace. But we also know that true peace Peace that rules our hearts and our minds can only come in this world through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sadder still, as we think about history and we think about the number of wars that have taken place, 
are the number that were initiated by those who were followers of Jesus, who were Christians, who sought to have a campaign to preserve the church. It makes me think of that first Holy Roman Emperor, Charlemagne, who was known for his brutality on the battlefield, known for the numerous wars that he started for the sake of the church. You know, it's funny, I remember back in the 1970s, there was a musical by Stephen Schwartz named Pippin. Pippin was a son of Charlemagne. And in one of the scenes that you see in that musical, Schwartz sarcastically has Charlemagne explaining to his son some of the arts of war. He says this, War is a science with rules to be applied, which good soldiers appreciate, recall, and recapitulate before they go to decimate the other side. Sad to think that the Holy Roman Emperor was the one who put forward many of these conflicts, and we have seen many throughout history. But we know that that is not true of who we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul says that today in the epistle when he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. We are not to be those who initiate wars for the sake of the church, for the sake of doctrine, for the sake of anything that has to do with the cross of Christ. But nor are we supposed to be like that horrendous group of people from Westboro Baptist Church that seethe with hatred and fight against those who have fought and desecrate funerals. On the contrary, Scripture calls us under the authority of the government that God has ordained to serve when we are called upon. But we also have the right in that service under a government to choose that the cause that we fight for is, in fact, right or true or just. I'm going to look at a couple of quotes from Luther this morning, and the first one has to do on the screen with the question that Luther was asked. The question is this, what if my nation chooses wrongly to go to war? And this is what Luther said. If you know positively that the war being waged is wrong, you should fear God rather than man, and not fight or serve so that your conscience before God might be right. We know that most wars that have been fought, the majority of them, were wars to take, to destroy, to occupy land, property, people that belong to another at all costs. But we also know, even in our own history as a nation, that there were, in fact, causes that one might call just, even though the horrible option of war was the only choice that could be made. You know, Ravi Zacharias is a known apologetist in Christian topics, and he has a recent series that he's put out where he's gone to six universities all over the country to allow college students to ask questions in ethics, in topics, in things that are taking place today, and to answer them. And when he was at U of M, he was asked this question, is there ever a just reason for war? And he says this, any war 
should be avoided at all costs because it is a horrible outcome. But he said if war in some way is justified, then it would have to do with the sanctity of life. He says, you see, if you abandon the sanctity of life, of life being sacred, then there is no problem in life using violence to take it once you have taken that off the table. But if you truly know that life is sacred and that sanctity is being threatened, we may have to do battle in order to protect the sanctity of life. If a nation believes that overall the sanctity of life transcends all things, that it is a basic human truth, a truth given from God in order to keep that truth from being violated, that nation may have to go to war. So there is a reason that sanctity of life to preserve what God has given to the world by his blessing and his creation. We know in our own nation there have been wars to preserve the sanctity of life. A war that we fought in our own against brother against brother to uphold the sanctity of life that all men are created equal to free those who were bound in slavery. We've seen wars throughout the world where tyrants and dictators who used violence to destroy the sanctity of life everywhere with total disregard had to be stopped as they violated and killed with no regard. Wherever the sanctity of life is at stake, wherever we see it, we must rise up to protect those who cannot protect themselves. But the goal never in this conflict is to laud or to glamorize or to praise war, but it is indeed to honor those that have fought in it and will fight. We do this weekend honor those, as Lincoln said, who gave the last full measure of devotion for their country, who died in pursuit of upholding the sanctity of God-given life. That is the authority that has been given to the nations of the world. But, you know, we too, as Christ followers, have a battle to fight. But our battle is not the same as the war, as Paul said. It is a battle that is fought with different weapons. Luther, in referencing what Paul has said in the epistle today, says this about the weapons that we use. Christians do not fight for themselves with sword or other earthly weapons, but with the cross and suffering. Just as our Savior did not wield a sword, but hung on a cross. Our victory does not come from conquering and ruling or exercising power. It comes in defeat and weakness. For Paul says elsewhere, strength is made perfect in weakness. See, in the world, it seeks to offer us political peace through conflicts and struggles. But it can never offer us personal peace. That can only come through the cross. That's why Paul says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient 
to Christ. You see, the fortress of the self-centered heart of those who are not Christ followers is stronger than any worldly weapon that has been or could ever be forged. And there is only one power that can take that stronghold, and it is the power of the cross. For the cross represents not land to be conquered, but love. It represents not a nation, but a neighbor. It represents not a law, but grace. And it represents not fear, but joy. We honor this weekend those who have laid down their lives, upholding the sanctity of life, of what God has given to all of us, of what we proclaim in our documents, that there are certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, God-given rights. But we remember, too, as we honor those who have fallen in the cause of the sanctity of life, that we have a battle to fight as the people of God, but not ever as the world wages war. For we know that by that cross we are called into battle to lay down our lives and not to take them. That we are called to serve others by our life and not to lord it over them. That we are called to witness to Christ in confidence and in hope and that we are called to speak words that build up and do not tear down. These are the gifts that we have been given. Weapons of grace and truth. Weapons that let others know what Christ has done on the cross for the world by sacrificing His own life. That we too, as Jesus said, might lay down our lives for our friends. That we might follow His example. And that by that example in our life, hearts might be changed. Truth might be told. Lives might find hope in the darkness. The stronghold of self might be broken. And the peace and forgiveness of Christ might reign in the hearts of people. May we ever fight that battle too with weapons that are not like the world. And that by these things we may know that we are true soldiers then of the cross of Jesus Christ where he died and gave us life. Amen.